At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. In this episode, I'm going to be talking about a very difficult topic, but yet one that needs to be addressed, and that is childhood sexual abuse. For some of you, this may be triggering, and so I do want to kind of give you a heads up that we are going to be talking about childhood sexual abuse. I'm going to be talking with a psychiatrist, so it could be triggering to you. So if you need to pause or, or not listen to this, that's perfectly fine. Uh, but for some of you, you need to hear this and, and because there's a lot of hope and uh, a, a lot of um, a lot of things that I think you can benefit from if you have experienced sexual abuse as a child or maybe you know someone who has. So in this episode, I'm going to be talking about developing strength and resilience from childhood sexual abuse with Dr. Christian Heim coming right up. Welcome to the Mental Health Today Show. My name is John Cordray, and I am a board-certified counselor and a host of the Mental Health Today Show. And I am really excited to introduce to you a psychiatrist that I've gotten to know. Uh, His name is Dr. Christian Heim, and he's actually from Australia. And he is an award-winning psychiatrist, a music professor, a Churchill Fellow, And during his 20 years as a doctor and 13 as a psychiatrist, he has heard stories of thousands of people. So he does listen a lot. (laughs) And he gets a lot of joy working as a consultant psychiatrist in psychotherapy. He specializes in adult trauma. He speaks from a place of deep compassion and authority on mental health issues that are affecting us all in this new normal of anxiety, depression, addictions, trauma, suicide, personality issues, and relationship breakdown. He also has a latest book out called The Seven Types of Love, Navigating Love in a Fractured World has just been released. And I will put this, all of the information in the show notes so you can go there and check out his newest book. And he's coming from Australia, the beautiful Sunshine Coast, if I can say that right. And uh, I'm delighted to have Dr. Heim on here. Uh, We are going to be talking about a difficult subject, but again, it's one I think you will benefit from. And listen in as I talk to Dr. Christian Heim. Well, Dr. Heim, I am so excited that you are decided to come on my show. And I'm just really excited to hear from you and your experience, although our topic is very difficult. Uh, We're going to be talking about childhood sexual abuse. 
um, and primarily as adults. And I know that a lot of adults that I have talked with, they don't really talk about or reveal their abuse until they're adults. And so I'm really interested in here how, first of all, how you became involved uh, as a doctor, as a psychiatrist, uh, to work with adults specifically in sexual uh, trauma, how you got involved. And then we'll talk more about uh, how common it is and who typically the abuser is. But first, I want to hear from you and hear your story, how you got involved in working with adults. Yeah, John, look, thanks very much for having me here. It's my privilege to be here and to share some ideas with you because um, your work in this area will inform this as well. Um, and, oh, John, what a journey it's been. Uh, how did I end up in this area? Well, I suppose uh, firstly, my background is in music. So I had a whole career in music before I became a doctor. And you can imagine um, it raised a few eyebrows when I was in medical school uh, as a uh, trainee doctor, um, having done music, whereas everybody else already had science degrees under their belt. And I suppose the reason that I say that is because uh, music is full of emotions. And so uh, human beings, as you know, John, are full of emotions. And uh, it's not all science. Uh, medicine is a mixture between science and relationships with human beings, with people. So, so that's the first thing. Uh, and uh, look, what, what happened was uh, where I thought I'd become a general practitioner, I actually moved into psychiatry because I was, I was just very comfortable working with people uh, who had strong emotions and uh, were going through issues that are basically mental and emotional. Uh, so, John, when it got to the stage that I was doing some inpatient work, a lot of the consultants, so my bosses, would say to me, you know, Christian, our work would be less than half if there were two things that we could get on top of in society. So, this is basically the big cause of mental illness. Number one was actually drugs and alcohol, uh, people using substances to alter their minds. And then the second was if we could stop adults having sex with children. Mm. And, John, that shocked me. But mm. when I started talking to people and treating people in a hospital setting, I found out that that was true. And uh, so it just became so much of a thing that um, because of the emotional connection, I was I was able to work with people who had um, experienced significant trauma. And uh, yeah, then I got specialized training in that area. And I suppose it chose me as much as I chose it. <laughs> that's a great, great answer. It chose you as much as you chose it. I think that's, I, that, that's a lot like my story and, and how I uh, became a therapist. So I, I yeah. really resonate with that. So you, you spent a lot of time uh, in, a, in a hospital setting working with adults. Um, the, the adults that you have worked with have gone through various uh, stages of trauma. Yeah. How many of those would you say uh, have experienced sexual childhood sexual abuse? Uh, well, I suppose the, the most accurate answer is far too many. Mm. Uh, and we have studies to show that uh, sexual abuse is just far too rife. And because it's something that we don't talk about uh, that openly, um, statistics 
statistics are maybe not as accurate as we'd like them to be. But Mm -hmm. um, then I wonder, well, what difference would that make? Uh, Mm -hmm. Because, uh, look, the statistics for women are just horrible. Uh, As as you know, John, a third of women go through their lives uh, and during that time they will be sexually assaulted in some way. Uh, and look, they used to say that maybe 10% of women were abused as children and perhaps two or 3% of men. Uh, but again, what happens is you work with somebody, you hear their story and you take them through a journey of healing so that they can move uh, forward in their lives. The statistics uh, say something, but whatever the number is, it's too many because it's 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 actually a taboo subject. Um, adults are not supposed to have sex with children. Children yeah. have the privilege of being innocent until a sexual awakening, awakening uh, which happens usually in puberty, sometime mm-hmm. between the ages of 12 and 18. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I know a lot of my work with kids. I worked in the school district for years and uh, I worked with kids who were traumatized yeah. and, um, you know, most of the trauma was result of some form of sexual abuse. Yes. And, um, you know, we, we, talk, we hear a lot about human trafficking and sex trafficking. Yeah. And where I worked um, in a rural district, small, pretty small district, but a lot of trauma and the parents are the ones who were the traffickers. Yeah. Uh, because what you said earlier, because of the, the substance abuse. Yeah. And yeah. uh, unfortunately, the two go uh, together. So uh, how how common would you say um, for the actual abuser or the predator to come forward and uh, get treatment themselves? The predator to get treatment, that's usually forced. So, yeah. so usually when some, it's usually in the legal context. Um, mind you, early on, uh, I had worked with people who saw they had uh, tendencies, pedophilic tendencies, and they wanted to get on top of that. But once uh, I uh, had a, a private practice where I specialized in working with victims who had been um, uh, sexually abused, um, I didn't do any of that work because that's just too much of a betrayal. Um, mm. Because when you when you start to work with people, you see the world from their viewpoint. So when I was working particularly with women who had experienced sexual abuse, uh, it would be abhorrent for them to think that I treated people who were mm. perpetrators. Mm-hmm. Um, so I leave that to other psychiatrists because uh, I actually applaud people who seek help to make sure that these things don't happen. And as you know, um, being a perpetrator lies somewhere in between a a criminal activity and a mental illness because uh, it is a desire gone wrong. Um, And uh, so so that takes a specialized um, skill in itself for somebody to treat that. But when I work with people who've been sexually abused, uh, one of the things that I work very hard with is the sense of identity, uh, the idea mm-hmm. that uh, does what happened to me define who I am? Mm. And John, as, as you know, the answer is no, but yes. just saying that doesn't help. It's, it's mm-hmm. a long journey to actually feel, oh my gosh, I am a complete person. Uh, doesn't matter what happened in my childhood. Uh, and that is a, 
a journey that people have to go on, and it's a journey of self-discovery and understanding uh, what a normal relationship can be, um, understanding that humans, unfortunately, are capable of hellish depravity as well as um, uh, heavenly compassion, uh, and that uh, whatever happened not only is not your fault, but also doesn't define who you are. I love that. It does not define who you are. And yeah, I have talked, and I'm sure you have too, to many adults who have been abused and they view themselves as broken. Uh, what's wrong with me? I, I should have stopped it and I didn't. And, and they have this guilt. Yes. It, it, it just, it just has been with them for years and years and years. And all along, they thought there was something wrong with them. Yes. And I really loved how, how you said that is not who they are. It's what happened to them. Yes. But it's not who they are. Yes. And I think once someone is able to realize that and understand that and really grasp that, and sometimes it takes a long time to do that. But once someone comes to that realization that, wait a minute, I didn't cause this. Someone did it to me and it doesn't define who I am. Yes. And, and then it's the next step. Yes. Knowing to what is that next step? Would you say after someone realizes uh, it's not my fault, uh, it doesn't define who I am, but then what do they get help or, or what, what would you suggest to somebody who has come to that conclusion and they're just thinking, well, what's the next step? Well, uh, the next step is, finding a trusted therapist and mm. and that's not easy in itself yeah. um firstly it's finding a therapist any therapist uh right. and and then seeing if this is going to work or not um and firstly john i find that people uh, come to the conclusion that it's not their fault very quickly mm. but only logically mm. not emotionally yeah. and so there is this mismatch between what somebody knows is the case and what somebody feels is the case. And that's where the work ends up ends up being done. How do you end up getting your feelings to match your reason? What you know is your own sense of right or wrong. And and that's there's no easy answer to that. Uh, one thing that that helps is when people realize that as human beings, we're actually all broken. Uh, mm. There's actually something wrong with all of us. Uh, mm -hmm. It's just that there are different things that are that are broken, and they're broken to different degrees. So it's uh, it's a matter of going on a journey for a person themselves to find a place where they can get to feeling okay, mm. uh, rather than feeling good. Um, feeling good is is often too hard for any of us to reach for, but if you can feel okay, that I'm okay as a person no matter what has happened. And uh, what really makes a difference is the decisions that I start making for myself and the relationships that I have with people that I can trust, that that becomes much more of a defining experience of what life and what the self is mm -hmm. rather than things that happened to you. So, so to answer your question, John, the next step is actually to find a therapist that you can trust. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like you said, and, and that can be very difficult as well, because there's, I mean, there are therapists that are 
that are booked and you can't get a hold of them or they won't return calls and, or you can't find one that's a good fit. So yeah. there's, there's, that's, that's a difficult uh, place to be. Uh, but just because it's difficult doesn't mean people shouldn't attempt it and try to find a therapist well, uh, these true. days. Yeah. And these days it's, it, I mean, you can find a therapist online. Yes. It may not be ideal. It may not be um, as, as good as, as face to face in the same office in the same room, but you're able to talk to a therapist who's trained in that and to be able to help and guide you and help you process what you've gone through. Yeah. Um, so there are more options uh, today than there were five years ago. Yes, either. there are. There are. And, uh, and that's, so, that's the beauty of today. And that's the beauty of uh, online things. Uh, you know, technology does has it has, has it does have its advantages. OK. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, we're we're talking and, and I'm in the U.S. and you're in Australia. That's so right. Talk, <laughs> that's right. Talk, talking about technology. Um, so there are barriers, there are, there are obstacles, uh, of finding a good therapist, but they're not impossible. And I always say you, you, no matter what you struggle with, uh, with mental health, you're not going to get better until you start putting in the work yourself. And for, for some of you who are listening to this, your first step may be to try to find a therapist. Uh, maybe you've called many times and you try to find several therapists and, and you haven't found one yet. Don't give up. Uh, because you are the only one that's going to uh, get you to to be able to get help. Uh, it's not going to go away on its own. Uh, this is uh, so many times that I've talked to adults who have been abused as a child. Uh, they just start uh, developing symptoms and struggles, whether it's anxiety or, or depression, uh, in their adult years for something that happened to them when they were a child. Yes. Um, so that's a common theme as well. And I'm sure some uh, adults who are listening to this now, uh, perhaps they're, they're listening to this and they're wondering, well, am I the only one that has gone through this? Yes. But, but what you have said earlier that the, the statistics are, are, are just incredible. And that's just from the reported numbers. Yes, that's that's right, John. In fact, something that that will give you listeners hope is to mention that many therapists have been abused, mm. and they have gone through their own journey. And many people decide, you know what, I'm going to use this experience to help somebody else. Yes, because when you get to that point where you're able to say to somebody, uh, "Yeah, I do understand a bit of what you've been through." Uh, then the gap between uh, the therapist and the person who's being worked with is not that great. Because, John, as you know, uh, this this work uh, uh, that we call therapy, it's, it's work between hu two human beings. Mm -hmm. And the big thing is trust. Uh, it takes trust to trust your parents, to trust friends, to trust people that you commit to. And it takes trust to trust the therapist. And that takes time and little by little, uh, trust is, uh, is grown. Um, and so I've had the experience of seeing people in training sessions uh, basically reveal their, their own experience of childhood sexual abuse for the first time. Uh, and they sort of go, oh, my gosh, I thought I was on top of all of this. But this hurts a whole lot more because they're touching things that they hadn't touched before. And uh, all of us find a space 
uh, in ourselves that uh, needs healing. And so uh, the more we can help each other to do this. Now, of course, a therapist and uh, a client situation is one in which there is an imbalance. It's supposed to be that that way. It's not about the therapist. It is about the person seeking help. Yes. So I'm, in a sense, revealing something here that uh, usually does not get revealed in the, uh, in the therapy room uh, because that's not the setup. The setup mm-hmm. is that there is one person that has the ability to contain the emotions and make it safe for the other person who is going through their journey. We'll be back after a quick break. Hi, this is Ross, the host of Smells Like Humans. Each week, we talk about the curious things that people do. This show is for you when you're in the mood for unscripted, lighthearted conversation, personal stories, and just a smattering of psychology and information you can use. I promise we will make your day pass a little faster and put a smile on your face. Sometimes silly, sometimes serious, but always fun. Please join us, because no matter who you are, we all smell like human. Please follow the link in the show notes. Absolutely. And, and, and to have that empathetic uh, time with the therapist. And, and, and it could be a very humbling experience uh, for the client yes. uh, to be able to reveal such a very intimate yet very personal struggle yes. with someone that they barely know. And, and you're exactly right. That trust needs to be built uh, because that's one of the things that was taken away from them. That's right. Is the trust. That's right. That's right. Uh, because, because yeah, okay, go ahead. Well, we, you and I know that the abuser is typically someone that's very close to them. Yes. Uh, and, and whether it's a friend or a neighbor or a parent or uh, a, a relative. Yes. And and so that trust was taken away. The intimacy, the innocence, and the trust was taken away the moment they were abused. Yes, that's right. That's and, right. And and I want to point out too that. Uh, I know sometimes people think, well, it, it really, I was only touched once or I was only abused one time. And I don't know if that's really considered abuse. And it is, um, whether you've been abused once or many times, it's still abuse. And, and so I want, one of the things that I encourage my listeners is what can you do uh, despite all the struggles and the trauma and, and the things that happen to you? What can you do to work on you? And the first step we talked about is uh, to, to know and to believe that it does not define who you are as a person. The second step was, is to look for a trained therapist, a licensed therapist, a psychiatrist to be able to talk to. And what would you say, Dr. Heim, would be the third thing? Because uh, I want my listeners to really work on and know that there is hope. You said it earlier, and I believe yes. you, and I, I agree with you. There is hope. No matter what someone has gone through, there yes. is hope. Yes. And someone can recover yes. from sexual abuse. And they can get, and, they, and then they can, the ultimate recovery is helping someone else, like you said earlier. Uh, but, yes. Yeah, uh, so, uh, I suppose the ultimate recovery is um, uh, being able to live life. Uh, mm. freely. So uh, mm-hmm. for some people, the ultimate uh, uh, 
um, healing is actually, or recovery is to be in a relationship, uh, or the ultimate uh, recovery is to trust people again, or the ultimate recovery is to experience joy again. Uh, all of these different things, because uh, yeah, uh, lives are very varied, and we all look at uh, what um, progress and recovery is differently. Absolutely. And can you give can you give my listeners maybe uh, two or three things that they can do on their own at home? Uh, we talked about going to to see a therapist. That's yes. a great a great uh, thing to do. Uh, recommended. Yes. But what if what if they're at home and maybe they're waiting in between sessions or, or waiting to or they haven't found anyone yet? What would be something that you could recommend? A couple of of takeaways uh, that can help my listeners who have have experienced childhood sexual abuse to develop strength and resilience. Okay, so that's it's actually good that you brought that up, John, because uh, the the rule for humankind is that the human spirit is actually resilient. So um, we're living in an age where we're becoming more aware of abuse, more aware of mental illness, and more aware of some of those things that we, uh, that we used to keep quiet about. Um, but it always needs to be said that humans are amazingly resilient. Mm. So um, what I want to say by that is that we as a species are actually stronger than we sometimes give ourselves credit for, okay? Mm. Um, so, uh, even though, um, there has been a lot of trauma, uh, the majority of people actually get through it. Okay. Now I won't go so far as to say that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger because I know that's actually not true. All right. Mm -hmm. But it is amazing that the human brain can adapt to even terrible situations to move forward because the brain is actually wired to learn and to navigate an environment uh, and to learn from good experiences, but also bad experiences. Uh, and so the payoff for the brain is actually moving forward every time. So uh, the reason that I say that is because there are a lot of people that think, uh, I'm just going to die. If I start talking about this, I'm just going to die. I'm just going to lose it completely. Mm -hmm. And uh, what I wanted to say was that uh, your spirit is actually stronger, okay, than you yourself may actually realize. Um, and to that, I've got to talk about severity as well, because people who are touched just once uh, mm -hmm. compared to people who are sexually assaulted several times compared with mm -hmm. people who were virtual sex slaves of people they, they should have mm -hmm. trusted, severity mm -hmm. makes a difference. And yeah. the more severe the abuse, the longer the journey and the more difficult the journey. And I'm, I'm sorry about that, but that's, that's just mm -hmm. the reality. Right. Uh, however, John, I, I will get back to your question. What's the third thing people can do, you know, sort of in between sessions or while waiting for a therapist or when they've had this revelation that these things have happened in their childhood? Uh, what I often say to the people that I work with is be gentle with yourself. Mm whatever that means, because uh, we also live in a world of expectations that you're only living if you're doing well, if you're moving forward, earning a lot of money, having a lot of friends. And uh, firstly, I have to say, uh, that's hardly working for any of us, right? So we all work in an illusionary world. 
but particularly people who are just starting on a journey of uh, childhood sexual healing, uh, to be gentle, right? Because mm-hmm. there is this underlying uh, idea, which is quite natural in the brain, unfortunately, that somehow it was my fault. And so uh, the guilt and the shame drive people to often punish themselves. And that's something that needs to be brought up in therapy because there are reasons for that and there are things that can be done about that. Uh, But to be gentle with yourself, basically lowering expectations, enjoying small things in life like sunshine, butterflies, and birds, and I seriously mean that, Mm -hmm. or just getting on with the people who are in the same household as you are. Okay. So, so, so being gentle with yourself is what I would say the third thing is. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. And I think that might be difficult for some. Uh, that might be a very hard task to be gentle with themselves uh, because they're probably used to beating themselves up. They, they are. They are. Uh, uh, okay, so th- this is another thing about the human mind. It is actually used to beating themselves up. We, we're all harder on ourselves than anybody else. And so, so that gives reason for hope. But the other thing that I want to say is that in any trauma situation, the brain does what it can to make itself responsible. Uh, and that's actually why a lot of people will blame themselves when their logic will tell them, no, this is surely not my fault, but their feelings will, uh, will betray them and sort of say, no, it was your fault because what the brain actually hates is the idea that it was not in control of its life for whatever period of time. So if it can turn things around to say, no, it must have been my fault. Um, I gave that person a look or I was a a cute looking girl or I was just too outgoing. uh, So it must have been my fault. The brain does that to give control to itself again, because if you think it's your fault, then at least you think that you were in control of that part of your life. Now, in actuality, it wasn't your fault. You weren't in control of your life, and the brain really hates that feeling. So for people who are struggling with that, that will come up in therapy, and there will be a way around all of that, and that'll be part of the healing journey. I like that, part of the healing journey, and and that's what it is. It's a journey. Yes. Uh, This is not a a quick fix, as you mentioned before, and there is different severities uh, yes. Levels of severity, and the and the more severe uh, the abuse, the the longer the journey will be. Uh, but it doesn't mean that there's not hope. It just means that the journey is longer. And for some people, we have to walk further uh, than others, and that's a part of uh, that's a part of our life. That's part of our our, our journey as a human being. And so as uh, as you are as, as uh, thinking through if you've been abused and in your story and and uh, uh, you know whether you're a, a male or a female because we talked about this is not just a female problem it, it affects men as well who yes. have been struggled who have been abused uh, so for my listeners if you're listening to this uh, I want you to know that you are able to continue your life your life is not over. You're able to carry on. You you might be going through a lot of maybe some flashbacks or thoughts and these memories, and maybe you have anxiety, maybe you, you, some depression because of it. 
but it doesn't mean that your life is over. It just means your journey is a little longer. Uh, as you uh, develop that strength, and I believe that we go through struggles, small or big struggles, and as we overcome them, we become stronger. And that then becomes a part of our story and, and becomes a part of who we are as a person. So that is what I want people to take away. I want, no matter what has happened to them, their abuse or trauma doesn't define them. It's their strength and their resilience that defines them. Oh, yes. Uh, that, in, in fact, if I, if I uh, start with somebody new and uh, we're talking about abuse that happened, let's say, 12 or 20 years ago, uh, one of the first things I asked is, uh, well, how have you survived these last 12 or 20 years? Mm. What have you been doing right? Mm. And uh, what that does is it, it makes people realize, you know what, I've, I've actually done pretty well, right? <laughs> uh, I can actually get through life. I have been doing that. Now, I want to get through life better. I want my emotional life to be better, but I've actually been doing it. And so uh, people start to see that they have these resources and that there are things that they are doing right. And uh, that then becomes something that you can draw upon so that you can work towards a life that's even better. Yes, I like that. Life even better. And that's exactly right. Well, Dr. Heim, I just uh, want to thank you for just sharing your expertise and your willingness to come on and, and share with uh, my listeners. I appreciate um, everything that you do and your work. And But I do, before we end, I, I know that you have a book. Uh, and, yes, I do. Uh, the Seven Love Types. And and before we end, can you kind of describe a little bit about that and, and uh, maybe where, uh, if a listener is interested in that book, where they can get it? Uh, yeah, uh, John, this, this book is, uh, is available through Amazon. And uh, I decided to write a book on love for several reasons, because I know it sounds like a platitude, but the world could use some more love at the moment. Mm -hmm. But it made me realize that we don't actually understand what this word love means. So I, I looked at the scientific view of love, but then I went to ancient Greece to find these seven other words for love uh, that define different types of love in our life. Because if we were able to understand our love more, we'd be able to show and express our love more. So, so this book is an exploration of what love actually is and how to get more of it flowing in your life with all different relationships, with parents, with children, with love partners, with friends, and even with strangers out there. It all takes a different type of love. Just for my listeners, yeah. uh, I will um, put all, all of your social uh, networks on uh, the show notes, as, including the link to your book, uh, so they can have quick access to that. And uh, so, again, thank you. I just I appreciate uh, you coming on, Dr. Heim, and uh, I wish you all the best. Oh, and look, thank you. Thank you, John. And I just want to thank you for... Um uh, for having a podcast on us uh, on a topic that is is not easy to talk about, mm. but it needs to be talked about so that people can move forward. So thank you very much for the work that you do, John. Uh, you're welcome. It's my pleasure, and that's why I do my podcast. And I want to help people and inspire and encourage them to work on their mental health. And you have helped me do that today. Oh, thank you, John. It's been a pleasure being here. Well, I think that was a just a, a an awesome time to talk to Dr. Heim. Uh, I, I'm sure you'll agree that was a great episode. He gave a lot of great input and a lot of info. 
And you can tell he has compassion for the clients that he sees. And, and I hope this has been helpful for you. And I also hope you go check out his book, uh, The Seven Types of Love. And I will put all that in the, sh- the show notes, as I had mentioned before. Uh, and, and don't forget to go to the Mental Health Today Show website. And you can go to mentalhealthtodayshow.com. Again, that's mentalhealthtodayshow.com. And uh, feel free to reach out to me. Let me know what you think of this episode. And as always, I would appreciate you to go and to give a uh, follow, a subscribe, and a rating and review of the show. That helps me know uh, from you as my listener. Uh, lets me know how I'm doing and, and what else I need. I should be working on. So I appreciate you. And as always, work on your mental health and take care and God bless. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.